Hello, welcome to today's episode of Jews and the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Eller. And uh, welcome to the show. Today is, uh, as we're recording this, Wednesday, December 21st, 5.30 p.m. here on the East Coast. And uh, everyone in the baseball watching, writing, listening community woke up to shocking news this morning that happened in the wee hours of uh of the of the, Three of the morning. Three which is that so earlier in the week uh tuesday maybe it was monday uh carlos correa is uh, announcing uh, uh or official making his, his contract official i should say with, with the the giants hit a snag as the giants found something that they did not like in carlos correa's physical so basically Every deal that you hear of before it becomes official is typically pending physical. And all that is is the teams bringing in a guy because teams don't have access to uh, players' physicals that weren't previously on the team already and have them run whatever tests they are concerned with seeing, you know, uh, X-rays, MRIs, who the fuck knows? I have no clue what it entails. And that reason that they include the pending physicals uh, clause, I guess, is that if a team finds something like uh, a tear in a UCL for a pitcher or, you know, damage in a knee or something that might be a problem down the road, especially as we've been talking about a lot of longer term contracts, they might use that as not leverage, but use that as as uh, a means to start rediscussing some terms of the contract, whether that be a lower salary or uh, more club options, uh, loosening of no trade clauses, something that makes it a little bit, it gives teams more of an out, so to speak. So it appears as though that is what happened in this instance. The team, the San Francisco Giants, flagged something, we don't know what, in Carlos Correa's physical and it seemed to put a snag in the official announcement of his signing with the Giants. They delayed a press conference. Now, further backstory, Carlos Correa is a Scott Boris client. And Scott Boris is insanely good at his job, number one. And number two is notorious for not renegotiating based on physicals. I don't really know why. Like I don't know what the advantage is there because it, it it's a little bit out of scope of public eye. Like we 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 just we don't know what physicals look like. We don't know what negotiated terms look like that don't you know that ultimately hit the cutting room floor. So I I don't know what the advantage is uh, on the outside of not doing it. But he's just he just doesn't do it. And to that effect, it appears as though he went straight over to the second highest bidder. One of the few instances that I could possibly think of where the second highest bidder actually came back into play instead of just being a puff piece from Heyman or somebody saying, oh, we tried real hard, but we <laughs> just couldn't get it done um, and went over to the Mets who made a deal work uh, for Carlos Correa again in principle. This will also be pending another physical, uh, but worked out a new contract for Correa that is one year shorter, but in the same ballpark AAV wise um, as what he had originally had with the giants with the giants. He had 13 years, $350 million. 
Uh, with the Mets, he signed a 12-year, $315 million contract or an AAV of about $26.25 million per season. This is huge for a number of reasons. One, just the fact that anything like this happened, especially with such a big name, is amazing. But this also has gigantic implications for the Giants and the Mets. From Carlos Correa's perspective, it almost seems like easy peasy, lemon squeezy, all, all done. I'm just cashing paychecks in New York instead of California. Oops. Like, whatever. Who cares? But, I mean, this just went from being a Giants pretty good offseason based on that one signing and kind of nothing else to being a catastrophic offseason for the Giants as they now basically didn't land a single free agent of note and lost Carlos Rodon. Well, so whereas the Padres had some frustrating non-signings with Trey Turner and Aaron Judge, not only did, but managed to salvage that with a handful of good free agent signings, the Giants just looks disastrous. Well, Josh, didn't they sign that big name uh, free agent, um, Arson Judge? I thought you were going to say Mitch Haniger like an asshole. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, uh, I yes, said they do Arson have Judge, Arson Judge. Also like an asshole. <laughs> yes, yes, they do have Arson Judge somewhere on their team. Uh, like the San Francisco's free agent signings thus far have been Mitch Haniger, Ross Stripling, and Sean Manaya. And then I think Jock Peterson accepted the qualifying offer. And it's like, those three signings are totally fine. Those three signings in conjunction with Carlos Correa is a pretty solid offseason. But just those three signings is is not good, especially with where the Giants team has been the past few years, which is old and depreciating. And the fact that they just lost who was essentially number one or number two of their starters in their rotation. So that's real, real bad. Um, And to add on to it, I don't if they really let Carlos Correa walk for whatever injury concern they might have that apparently wasn't enough concern for the Mets, I think requires some answering from the Giants front office, at least from like a fan perspective. Well, they they did already release the statement saying that they will not release any information regarding the medical. No, I don't even mean from the medical perspective. I, I mean, like, they, from an ownership perspective, like, what was so big a concern for them? I guess that is still talking medical. It, it's just so odd to see a team have the, the capacity to throw away, essentially, to throw away one of the best players that is going to hit free agency in the next seven years or some crazy shit. What do you think the possibility is that this is a little bit of buyer's remorse from either management or ownership looking at either the length or size of this contract? The length or girth. And kind of, <laughs> frankly, <Sorry>. that is, <laughs> or honestly, that is the word that came to mind and I had to kind of shuffle <laughs> a, a different one. Um, trying to get out of this Um and kind of blowing up something that really wouldn't be something that you typically could cancel a contract over. 
I mean, I can't imagine that that's a big. Uh, the, it, it's too big of a of a concern within Giants front office as it stands today, right now. They have nobody over twenty million dollars on payroll. Nobody. Jock Peterson's the highest paid player, and he just took the qualifying offer. So outs and so that so he's gone after next offseason unless they choose to give him a bigger contract. And then your next highest paid guy is Brandon Crawford at sixteen million dollars. Uh, there's a lot of players that ha- still have to get their arbitration numbers put in here. So take this as being the lowest not this number is going to be for the time going forward. But as it stands right now, the San Francisco Giants are 13th in payroll. They have a lower payroll than the White Sox. Like they have nothing but room to go upwards. And in a division that's been an arms race between the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants, it's really weird to see San Francisco back out of something that it just seems like there's no good reason for them to have backed out of it. Unless Carlos Correa gets like, I don't know, like he bursts into flames on the diamond next off next season. I, I don't know what the justification is for this. I one would be very concerned about, you know, his longevity uh with this kind of deal but man if this is an arms race if if the u.s is the dodgers if the padres are the soviet union what the hell does that make the giants like argentina is is this their falklands war um Let's it, let's get real political with this analogy. Let's let's do this. Uh, I feel like they're they're more like a, a nation that's coming in with like really out of date artillery. It's kind of Argentina. Well, <laughs> yeah, the British were just like, okay, well, if your guns can't fire that far, we'll just sit slightly out of range of you, but very in range for us. Yeah. Oh man, set your country I, up perfectly for the Nazis fleeing. I know I know I am supposed to dislike the Giants because they are an in-division rival, quote unquote. But they're such a classic. Like they're they're such a fun team when they're good. It's a fun organization to have be good. They're easy to root for. They're they're a classic team. I wanted them to have this so that there would be, you know, I want the NL West to be a bloodbath, not just kind of a, a heavyweight boxing match between two heavy hitters with the Dodgers biting our fucking ear off out of nowhere. Um, I don't know. And, uh, and this type of signing is good. Like to have the Giants be in what seemed like a pretty good spot, like three or four years ago, having a lot of big contributions from, uh, like veteran players, but got on a discount. You know, they were kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, they're operating under Farhan Zaidi, like, who, who like is like a very like smart dude with a budget. You know, like uh, they were supposed to be a, again, kind of a version of the Rays, but with money. And it seemed like that's kind of what they were doing. They had amassed all of these thirty-plus-year-old dudes that they were able to get at relatively good discounts and put out a good product. And they suddenly experienced a season of downtrend and what's what more could a fan want or the baseball community at large want 
than after seeing a disappointing season, but still within the possibility of a playoff window, mm-hmm. other than you spending money, and which they did. But much to everyone's dismay, it is evaporated into the ether without seemingly any any good reason. What were you gonna say? Look, looking back at you know the the Evan Longoria's, the Brandon Crawford's, the all the kind of elder statesman of the league. I'm amazed that they didn't sign Matt Carpenter. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny. I mean, they, they traded for Mitch or they signed Mitch Hanniger. Mitch Hanniger's 32. Yeah. Like he even fits in there. Holy shit. He's 32 now. Yeah. I'm going to blow your mind with this one. Tommy LaStella, 34. Fucking really? Yeah. Oh man. Everyone's getting so much older as I grow up. Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Crawford's 36. Life just keeps Tim, going even by. he's older than I expected. I know. How old? How old's Evan Longoria now? Ninety. <laughs> um, Longo, I don't see on their rosters. So I had to go look. He's got to be like thirty-six to thirty-seven. He's been this, wow. He's had fifteen seasons in MLB. He is currently thirty-seven years old. I have I have family in Tampa, and I remember talking about him being like. Coming back from injury when I was like in fucking elementary school. Elementary. Fuck me. I gotta go back to sixth grade too, just to learn how to talk again. If if Evan Longoria comes out this season and comes plays, out, holy shit. Good for him. Of the closet and the bench. Um and plays like a, an average baseball player, he will cross the sixty war threshold. However, I would wow. be hard pressed to call him a Hall of Famer. I don't think he is. Yeah, he is. He is the definition of Hall of Very Good. Yes, he's the definition of consistently very good. Yeah, never great though. I mean, op- like the start of his career was electric. OPS plus just going down the leaderboard. 127, 133, 143, 138, 148, 133, 107, 112, 127. And then the final year in Tampa Bay into San Francisco, 99, 91, 101, 96, 124, and 114 the last two years. Very serviceable, especially the last two seasons, but uh, hard to call that, you know, that back half of the career something to prop up a Hall of Fame start. Agreed. Even even over the the sixty war threshold, there, there's no peak to really speak of here. Yeah. At least not one of significance, really. Yeah. I mean, his highest war season was six. Yeah, three all star appearances good. in his first three years. That's awesome. But oh, sorry, I misspoke. His highest war season was eight point two. I was looking at D at uh, O war. No, no shit. That's eight point two. Yeah, that's actually very good. Who beat him in MVP voting that year? Now I'm really curious. He never finished higher than sixth, so fucking everyone. Josh Hamilton. No, really? Josh Hamilton, 8.7 war. He led all of baseball that year. Uh, Evan Longoria was actually second in uh, war for the AL that season, uh, though he finished sixth in voting. The top five was Josh Hamilton, sure, received 22 sure. first-place votes. Miguel Cabrera, five first-place votes. Robinson Cano with none. Uh, Jose Bautista, who got a single first place vote, and then Paul Canerco with the White what? Sox finished fifth with 4.7 war. And I just don't know. Oh, it's gotta be the OPS. He had a really high OPS in 2010. 
160. Huh. Yeah, 39 home runs, 111 RBIs, bat at 312. That's oh, here's so here's some fun stuff. He was drafted in 2006, third overall. Do you do you want to do you know any names uh, that were drafted that year? 2006. Yeah. Is that the uh, is that the Mike Trout year? That is not. No. Who am I thinking of that? Well, we always joke about having been drafted ahead of Trout. Um, uh, Randall Kuchik. Yes, that's who. I, that's who. I, that's who I meant. The other white guy who's kind of a good hitter and is pretty good on defense. <laughs> All right. So the uh, the top. I'll do top six in WAR coming out of that class. Um, Adam Adovino. Thirteen point eight WAR. Ian Kennedy, seventeen point three. Tim Lincecum, nineteen point five. Evan Longoria, with fifty eight point one. Quite the jump. Which is good for third. There were two other guys taken in the first round of this draft class, seventh and eleventh, with. 71.7 71.7 and 75.9 career war. These are guys that I know them. You know them. Justin Verlander. It's too late. He's too late. Five. Um, son of a bitch. Are they are are they still playing or are they retired? Both are still active. Shit. Oh my god. 70 plus war. It Clayton Kershaw. First, okay. 75.9 war to the Dodgers, seventh overall. Scherzer? Max Scherzer, yeah. 71.7 to the Diamondbacks, 11th overall. Someone listening to this was like shouting at their phone. Yes. Uh, yeah. This was also the Jabba Chamberlain draft. And a bunch of people we don't give a shit about. Okay, we spent way more time talking about Evan Longoria than I was expecting, but <laughs> to bring yes. this back around. Okay, so from the Giants' perspective, this is very confusing. Um, We'll see if this works out in their behalf, but it, it's tough to imagine a world in which it does. So let's take a look at this from the Mets' perspective. This only heightens several of the conversations that we've had about the Mets, their payroll, and their lineup already. Um, Starting with the really just, it's just going to end up being a rehash of the conversations we've already had. The Mets' payroll is gigantic. The Mets payroll now, including their their luxury tax threshold or luxury tax uh, allotment, which is one hundred and eleven million dollars from what I saw, means that their total payroll is about to be four hundred and ninety five million dollars. Half a billion dollars is about to be on the field for the Mets. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I saw a tweet that was something along the lines of the Mets committed more money to their team yesterday as the Pirates have since 2010. I saw the same thing. That's fucking insane. I mean, we're we're reaching a point where Steve Cohen's going to put more money into the Mets than Elon Musk did into Twitter. God, how much did Twitter sell for? Like $44 billion. 44, yeah. yeah. It's hilarious. 
how at this rate, how long would he have to own the Mets to keep that? Like, what's what are we trending towards? Um, well, we're basically at a point in the luxury tax threshold where every dollar he spends, he also owes a dollar in tax. So theoretically, he'd have to spend basically about twenty two billion dollars <laughs> on on the on contracts and then owe an equivalent amount. Although I'm sure at some point it would scale up even higher because it's just so stupid. So probably some amount closer to like maybe $10 billion. Who the fuck even knows? We're reporting numbers that don't even make sense. Steve Cohen is at the point in his life, which is basically the equivalent of like the end game in like an RPG where you basically hoard supplies and resources and money just, just in case I need it for like a boss down the road. And now you're just done with the game, so you're just blowing it on fucking anything. Here, I just need 80,000 healing potions just in case. Sure, yeah. I don't you're describing how everyone plays a From Software game. Yes, <laughs> just exactly. Hoarding all of their consumables until the final boss, and then they have significantly more than they ever could need. Um, AKA how I, all of us played Elden Ring. I uh, picked up uh, an old... Uh, pokemon game and like this is like a 10 year old save file that i haven't touched since then and i had like 75 hyper potions from god knows when and it's just like of course excellent excellent i'm sure i needed all these we will never apply this degree of concern and carefulness towards saving money though no, 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 no. I, I was telling Josh I had very little to do at work today. I spent way too much time just surfing on eBay. <laughs> just oh, like, fuck yeah. What's stuff that I can buy because I'm bored, not because I need it? Thankfully, I did not buy anything. It's the real danger of working a boring desk job. Bad back pain. But um, at what point, though? Does it become more likely that Steve Cohen is treating the Mets like a money laundering operation than a profitable business enterprise? Because it's starting to feel more like, oh, hey, he made his money through very sketchy means and had to pay several large fines because of shady business practices. So maybe this is uh, maybe this is just some some uh, cleaning up some of the dollar bills in that bank account. God. Because I mean, like that—that's what the art community has become over the generations of of, of uh, buying, selling, and trading art. I money really, launders. yeah. I mean, the, the art art industry at this point in time is strictly for money laundering. Um, at what point does owning a sports team become the same thing? Because it um, really feels like it. But whatever. Yeah. Anyway, though, this this only serves to exacerbate or heighten the question that we asked last week when we talked about the Mets bloated payroll of it's cool. It's great that it's happening. It's good for the sport. What do they do if it doesn't work? That is the only thing I want to know. The only thing I want to know is what is the Mets payroll next off season? That's the only thing I care about. And it's true whether they win the World Series, in which case the team will probably be exactly the same. So it's not necessarily as interesting, but there's still room for stuff to change. The real question is, if they lose, if they don't make the World Series, if there's call every time a team makes the playoffs, there's a, it's a crapshoot how they do, and a lot of deserving teams 
crap out before they get to the World Series. And every fan of a team that craps out says the same thing. We were close. All we got to do is go get XYZ player and we'll be there. How do you do that if you're the Mets? And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But I'm dying to know what it looks like. I think we are in a very special time in history where Steve Cohen can basically throw a brick onto the gas pedal and just keep accelerating until he blows the engine or runs out of gas. And frankly, he's wealthy enough where I don't want him to stop spending until he has both the gold glover and silver slugger at every position. I want him to create an all-star team and field them for 162 games and see what happens. Well, the interesting I want thing... the top five in Cy Young vo- voting to be their starting rotation. Um, the interesting thing also will become because every additional free agent that you acquire that has, you know, some insanely large pedigree also therefore creates a log jam within your system of the ability to advance younger players. So one of the inherent things that usually occurs with signing so many free agents, as we saw with the Yankees for years in the uh, in the 80s and 90s, especially was just an abysmal farm system because they kept buying players, you know, because they, they, they kept making acquisitions, which is a trade off. Like, it's not to say that either route is necessarily inherently wrong or bad, but it is one of the trade offs that must occur. You know, you, you're not going to leave a star studded prospect, shortstop prospect, just mm-hmm. it out in triple A when you could get excess value for your bullpen or back end rotation or utility guy, someone that might actually start for you um, or whatever. So it's, it's, it's all, that is also going to become an interesting dilemma. Um, not dilemma, but you know what I mean. It's going to become an, an interesting uh, case study. Yeah, who fuck knows? Um, I had another thought. Fucking, I forget what, what the fuck it was. God damn it. Oh, uh, so now this puts Carlos Correa at third base. That... Kind of takes away a significant portion of his value. Um, sure, he's got a good arm. Sure, he's got really good range. Guess it doesn't matter now, but it's a whole lot of sure. I, one could argue that's where he might have ended up in the latter portion of his career anyway. You know, kind of a uh, Jeter A-Rod conversation here where if they were going to let Jeter start at shortstop despite having a rod, then they were going to let him start at shortstop until he decided he didn't fucking want to. Whereas mm-hmm. every shortstop eventually has to pivot over to second or third over the course of their career. It's almost an inevitability. So to that end, who cares? Uh, you know, Carlos just move over there a slightly earlier in your career than you were expecting. But uh, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, this is, this is truly the embarrassment of riches, I would think. Well, it, it's also funny though because in picturing a five hundred million dollar payroll, I just don't picture names like Jeff McNeil. 
<laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, look, look it, go ahead. he makes your team better. He's not a bad defender at third just because he's moving over. Who the fuck cares? If this is your biggest concern is you're not maximizing his value as the top two offensive player in free agency this year, you have run out of things to complain about. Get over it. Here are the players on veteran contracts, which basically means, you know, no non-ARB players, yeah. no rookies, nothing, nothing like that. Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Francisco Lindor, Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, Kodai Senga, Edwin Diaz, Carlos Carrasco, Jose Quintana, James McCann, Mark Canna, David Robertson, Eduardo Escobar, Omar Narvaez, Brooks Raleigh, Darren Ruff, Daniel Vogelbach, and John Curtis. Those are all the guys on vet deals. Nice. And it's a huge... Uh, uh, and I guess, did I say Carlos Correa already? Carlos Correa, yeah. his numbers aren't officially in there yet, but Carlos Correa will also be added to that list. Uh, and then the handful of marquee dudes um, who are likely to get pretty good ARB payments, uh, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, um, maybe like Tomas Nito, Luis Guillaume, Eliezer Hernandez. Who the fuck knows what Joey Lucchese is going to be? Remember when he was supposed to be the yeah. Padres, like, number one dude for about five minutes? Uh, yeah. I think he, yeah. like, I want to say he started, like, opening day for us. I want to say so, too. Oh, also, Robinson Cano is still owed $20 million. <laughs> FYI. Oh, also, uh, Bobby Bonilla is still owed his $1.2 million. And Brett Saberhagen, sneakily in there, $250,000. Sorry, who is that? Brett Saberhagen, who is entering his age 59 year of retirement. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Brett Saberhagen, by the way, retired in 2001. Yeah. Borderline Hall of Famer. Joey Lucchese did not ever start for us. Uh, Week one. It's also just real quick. It's hilarious that all right. So Brett Saber Hagen retired in two thousand one. He stopped playing for the Mets in nineteen ninety five, and he only played for the Mets for three and a half seasons. That's some impressive accounting. Nice. Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's just how many how many Giants fans do you think how dude like what what would you have done if you were a Giants fan waking up after this? Uh, go back to sleep and just hope for the best. Oh my God, Joey Lucchese was the number one starter for the Padres in 2019. It feels so much far awkwardly, awkwardly recent. Yeah, it feels a lot. Joey Lucchese, Eric Lauer. Rookie Chris Paddock, <laughs> Cal Quantrill, oh, no. Lamette, and Nick Margavecchius. That's hideous. Uh, Chris Paddock had the lowest ERA with a 3.33. The next lowest was Denilson Lamette at 4.07. Genuinely revolting. In 73 innings, so it doesn't really count. 
Gross. Uh, Lucchesi that year, 163 innings pitched, uh, 158 strikeouts, a 4.18 ERA for a 100 ERA plus, 1.22 whip, and a 10 and 10 win loss average. So he was about as average of a pitcher as you could find. I imagine his war that year was zero. Probably like two. His career um, is 2.9. You know what's still wild about the Korea thing, though? 2.3. Is, um, it's still, <laughs> I, I know it's like a bucket of money, but the fact that the AAV is still just 26.25. Like, Dansby Swanson also signed a contract recently. Uh, he signed with the Cubs. Um, so the Cubs are having a, a, a nifty offseason. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. They're probably still going to be mediocre next next season this upcoming season but with how mediocre the nl central is that might have them winning like you know 75 80 games uh who knows um but they'll probably be a competitor again soon next like two three years but anyway dansby swanson seven years 177 million dollars which is 25.3 mil at the end of the day per 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 year which is only Nine hundred thousand dollars less per year than Carlos Correa. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it it it's such an awkward amount of money to where if Dansby Swanson's getting it, you know what I mean? And this ought to like shit talk Dansby mm-hmm. Swanson because he had he's coming off a very nice season. Uh, but if you maybe guess the the difference between yearly dollars between Dansby and Correa, I would not have gone for under a million. Maybe it's because uh, Carlos Correa actually has major medical concerns and they were just trying to get the deal done. But it's the same AAV as, as he had with the Giants, essentially, which was before they had found any medical concerns via the physical. Mm-hmm. So you're saying just Dansby Swanson is ridiculously overpaid because I would easily hop on that bandwagon. He might be a little bit over. I think it's a combination of both factors. I think he's a little bit overpaid. I think Correa is pretty decently underpaid. Obviously, also the years is a difference. You know, Correa wanting uh, those extra. He's It's five years longer of his contract. So I, mm-hmm. I completely get it from that perspective, too. Uh, did not realize Dansby Swanson was the same age as Carlos Correa until this exact moment. I pictured him as two years older at least, but go figure. Um, it's just it's just strange, but hey, Correa will be a Met through age forty. God, what are the Mets? Good luck. <laughs> I don't know. What are the Mets? Um. Yeah, just goddamn. Uh. I think that's between those two things. Uh, that's all. Oh, actually, one last thing that's much, much more minor significance. Andrew Benintendi signed a five-year contract with the Chicago White Sox for fifteen million dollars per season, so seventy-five million dollars total. Okay. Yeah. Sure. It's, but what makes it interesting is it's the largest free agent contract in White Sox history. Ugh. Don't tell me that. Isn't that disgusting? Yes. Yes, yes, it is. 
I don't need every team to have a three hundred million dollar contract in there now. No. Like we get that, but like that's gross. At least a hundred million, right? Oh, I found that. Sorry, this is a bit of a tangent. Uh, actually, kind of in that same vein. Yesterday, the Mets spent three hundred and fifteen million dollars on Carlos Correa. Do you know the number that the Pirates spent in free agency since two thousand and ten? I want to say it wasn't even 300 mil. I want to say it was like 270 or some shit like that. Uh, it's close, but not in the way you think. 207. Oh, 207. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. That's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, so it it's with with 12 seasons, it's, it's a little bit over like 12 or $16 million a season. I hate that team. It's 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 a garbage organization. Uh I don't miss yeah, it. Seventeen twenty five per off season. That's just not. It's just nothing. Um. Oh fuck! I was about to say something else. And I can't think of what does. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about some football stuff. Um, shall we start with the unfortunate, not the unfortunate, the the sad news, and then move into lighter topics. Sure. All right. Uh, Frank O'Harris passed away. I feel like I'm saying it like Frank O'Harris. It's Franco Harris. Uh, Franco's Jersey Italian boy, army. Jersey boy from Fort Dix. Shout out Fort Dix. Hall of Famer, four-time Super Bowl champ, nine-time Pro Bowl, one-time All-Pro, Super Bowl nine MVP, uh, all-1970s team. It was the 1972 AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. He actually had collected three different Rookie of the Year accolades from that season. Uh, 1976, Walter Payton, Man of the Year. Um, and a 1981 NFLPA award that I don't know the name of. Um, huge, huge yeah. player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then apparently one random offseason with the Seattle Seahawks I did not realize occurred. No, no, um, don't talk about that. Yeah, it's like Joe Klecko's last season with the Colts. It didn't really exist. Uh, was also noted for being uh, part of the Immaculate Reception. Um, huge moment in Steelers lore. Um, uh, just NFL a, lore. Yeah, really. I mean, that's a staple highlight. Um, huge player throughout Steelers history and um, NFL history. When he retired, including playoffs, he was the all-time leading rusher in the NFL, and has only was surpassed by Emmett Smith by like. 40, 50 yards, um, had like 1,500 rushing yards uh, in the playoffs throughout his career, which is insanity to like really think on. Just, um, But yeah, um, he was a Penn State guy, uh, definitely someone who was utterly cherished in the state of Pennsylvania uh, and among Steelers, uh, Active players, former players, the city of Pittsburgh. No one has ever said a negative thing about Franco Harris, and uh, he will be, be missed. He uh, He's having his number retired on Sunday on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Um, there was meant to be a major ceremony and all of that. Uh, I imagine it, undoubtedly it will still occur, but with some in-memoriam uh, 
slightly different tone. Added. Yeah, very different tone. Yeah. But always good to remember the people who made your franchise what it is. Uh, even if your franchise yeah. is shit, there's at least got to be some people that helped make it somewhat bearable. Fortunately, though, Franco Harris played for a team that was incredible during his time there, in large part to his contributions. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in remembrance of Franco Harris, um, which again, I feel like I make it. I feel like I made it sound like Frank O'Harris, like he's some Irishman. Uh, he is not. Anyway, uh, let's bring this into now a conversation of what's going on around the league. Uh, Zach Wilson is the starter for the Jets again, and it's going just about as well as I think everyone expected it to, which is bad. It's really bad. Um, I hurt inside Corwin. I hurt deeply. I hurt because at one point in time, for a few brief and shining moments, the Jets were six and three. The Jets are now seven and seven. It's scary out there, my friend. I don't like it, and I want to die. I um, I will say, this is not uncharted territory for your team. More like uncharted territory. <laughs> hey, butt fumble. Um, that being said, you know now that Zach Wilson is not the answer. You know that Mike White can be your bridge quarterback. You know now that moms across the country are safe once again. And then you kn- you better know that the Jets have a bright future ahead of them. Because this I- is a team that is truly a team to be reckoned with in the future with everything they've been building. I will say there is some comfort in seeing the transition back to Wilson and like getting the closure on it. Cause there's always that point in you that wonders like whenever you see any team make a QB change and have it go well, there's always a little bit of you, at least, at least for me, there's always a little bit of me that wonders like, okay, how much of this is the, the quarterback and how much of this is maybe some new coaching and scheming uh that maybe teams don't have enough film on because now they're accommodating the needs of the new quarterback um or you know some degree of internal change that is coinciding with the quarterback turnover um so to get that aspect of it and see Mike White really succeed and was very promising and then to put Zach Wilson back into what seemed like a very good situation again because the Jets offense was rolling and have him fall flat on his face reassures you that, okay, yes, 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 yes. Everybody else is doing their job very well. (laughs) It is him. We're not crazy. He is the problem is there. Yeah, there is that. Um, It's it's, amazing how mentally fucked that guy is. Like, it's not a physical issue like he we've all seen him make the plays we've all seen him do it he genuinely just looks like he is mentally fried every time he has the ball in his hands I and it really is and I know we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago it really feels like he just refuses to accept that he's not in college anymore it's it's astonishing he looks caught off guard Every snap that everything that is happening is happening. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. 
Like his stat sheet doesn't look hard. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I would still be sitting here thinking that is something you can work out. That is something that you can teach. You can keep working with them. You know, it's not unheard of to have a guy break out after his third or in his third season or having two years to prepare things like that. But his attitude is such fucking garbage. Every single opportunity he's had to kind of showcase that mental side of his game that I, I have utterly no hope for him to to regain his footing. Because it's it, it and it really is the stupidity of his decision making, like the fact or or lack of ability in what should be the simple the fact that he's missing people in the flat. Mm-hmm. Boun- bouncing passes in the flat, like uh, without getting when, hit. How how do you let that happen? Two three years into your career, when you're panicking over checkdowns, there there's a lot that you need to do to even have a foundation to build off of. And right. boy, that's tough. And also keep in mind, this is his performance coming off of a benching. This is his performance knowing that his role as a starter and his entire NFL future is kind of at jeopardy. And this is his play. It's it's horrible. His stat sheet performance doesn't look atrocious from the 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 Lions game 18 for 35 which is which is rough. That's just slightly better than a 50% completion percent. Um but 317 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, a quarterback rating of 89.8. It's actually higher than what Goff finished with. Doesn't look awful. But when you actually get into the the play-by-play analysis of it, and oh, my God, it, it's it's so bad. It's so bad where the yards should have been and what he was able to scrounge together from his poor decision-making. Mm-hmm. I, I mean... If this team can be firing on all cylinders with Mike White, there's no reason it shouldn't be flourishing under Zach Wilson. And they're they're just abysmal. 17 points against the Lions defense. That's that's really bad. And so the, the Jets are in a position where they are technically a, a bubble team for the playoffs. They they are not quite in it but they have a chance and you know their last three games of the season are against the Jaguars the Seahawks and the Dolphins so the that that Jaguars game and that Dolphins game weigh huge in their ability to make the postseason or not as it stands the Dolphins in a playoff spot two spots ahead of the Jets they're the seventh seed Jets are the ninth seed and the Jaguars are the tenth seed one right behind the Jets so I mean, their matchup this Thursday, t- today, as you're listening to this, tomorrow as we're recording it, is huge because if the Jets lose, the Jaguars jump ahead of them in seeding, and it gets really tough to see how the Jets make a comeback towards being able to make the playoffs, especially with the last two games of the season being on the road. And let me tell you, the, the Jaguars have been looking a lot better since we checked on them early in the season. Yes. I mean, they've won four out of their last six games, especially a huge win over Dallas last week. Trevor Lawrence is looking like 
the player we saw at Clemson finally and has over the past several weeks. And it's fucking exciting because he is so fucking good. He is going to break 4,000 yards. He already has 3,520 with three games left to play. He'll do it probably no problem. 24 touchdowns, seven interceptions, which anything under 10 is rock solid. Um, the sacks is a little bit much, but I mean, that is what it is. Uh, and a 96.6 quarterback rating is fucking great. He's, and if, I'm sure if we broke this down into splits and just looked at his, you know, the most recent sl- slate of games, this would look even better. And mm-hmm. will the Jaguars make the playoffs? In all likelihood, not. No. I mean, the Jets rode as hard and the Jags are in slightly a worse position for a wild card. But Jacksonville is actually in the running to win the AFC South. Which, while I, uh, you know, who knows with how deep of a playoff run they could be positioned for, they are one game behind Tennessee. So there's there, there's a, there's a chance. Which, if you were given the option of saying, "Hey, are week sixteen, would you want to pay X amount of money for the Jets to be one game out of a playoff spot?" Would Would you take it? I I don't think there's ever a chance you turn that down. Yeah, and that's really the thing that that's got me is if you told me at the start of the season the Jets are going to be seven and seven and not eliminated from the playoffs in late December, I would be over the moon. But it's one of those things is like how we got here, you know what I mean? Like the right. the Jets, for a brief shining moment, were the team on top of the division <laughs> for like I think a handful of days. The Jets were number one seed in the AFC East, so to go from that. To last is is tough to handle. Um, as it stands right now, the playoff picture is as such: only two teams in the AFC have clinched, and they are the least surprising teams possible. That is the Bills and the Chiefs. They are in that order for seeding, currently in the hunt, meaning that they are in the playoffs today, but not yet having clinched their spot. Uh, the Bengals, which would be the three seed, the Titans. It would be the four seed. Those are also the, currently the division leaders for their respective divisions. Uh, then the wild card teams would be the Baltimore Ravens, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Miami Dolphins, uh, with the Pats, Jets, and Jags on the outside looking in. Uh, eliminated teams include the Houston Texans, Denver Broncos, uh, actually, and those are the only two from the AFC. Uh, any surprises there for you, Corwin? Uh, the Broncos still being in it? No, they're eliminated. Oh, those were teams you said eliminated. Uh, then no, not really. Uh, if you ask me at the start of the season, the Dolphins probably would have been up there. Um, no, no, I can't say. All right. Yeah, this feels pretty much straight up. The, the AFC has felt like the significantly more predictable division over the past five or six years. So, yeah, not surprised there. The NFC is a little bit more surprising. Uh, there are... Uh, five teams that have already clinched their playoff spots so far, and that is, uh, number one, the Eagles, who have uh, ostensibly won the NFC East already. The Vikings at number two, first in the NFC North, and uh, the 49ers first in the NFC West. The last team, sorry, actually, there are only four teams, my mistake. One of the teams is still, uh, one of the divisions is still up for grabs. Uh, the, the fourth team is the Cowboys, who will be the fifth seed um, because they w- will not have won their division in all likelihood. Um, 
the currently the four seed would be the Buccaneers, who are six and eight, but that is good enough for first in the NFC South, which is a rough and tumble division. Every team not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC South, they are all five and nine. So this division is also very in play and will be pathetic no matter who makes the uh, postseason, although I sincerely hope it's not the Buccaneers just because fuck Tom Brady. Um, the sixth seed is the Giants, and the seventh seed is the Commanders. Bubble teams to round out the top ten include the Seattle Seahawks, Detroit Lions, and the Green Bay Packers. Um, eliminated teams from the NFC include the Chicago Bears. And then the two probably biggest surprises, uh, the LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals, not just not in playoffs positions, but already eliminated from contention because they are currently both four and 10. Like the Falcons have a better chance of making the playoffs right now, which is startling. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where to even begin on what is the most surprising. It feels Um, like all of them. Yeah. Like, the Giants being in the hunt, very surprising. Uh, Commanders still relatively in the hunt, surprising. Eagles thirteen and one. More than that, the, if if the playoffs are today, the Commanders yeah, make the playoffs. Good, <sighs> good on them. Holy shit, good on them. Trailer, uh, ha- t- Taylor Heineke. Trailer Heineke. Yeah. Hey, remember when they Trailer traded Park. for Carson Wentz? Good times. Um, Eagles being thirteen and one, insane. The Vikings being eleven and three with a plus two point differential is fucking ludicrous. Utterly ludicrous. Um, and like you said, like the Rams being shit, the Cardinals being shit, the Packers. The Packers being shit up until like the past two, three weeks. The Buccaneers being shit. The Seahawks being good. I mean, I picked I picked the Seahawks to be the first overall pick next year. I thought they were gonna be disgusting. I mean, I thought the same thing of the of the Lions. No, the Lions aren't going to make the playoffs in all likelihood. There's a chance that they could. But, I mean, the fact that they're even not eliminated at this point is is amazing. I I did like the Lions just because of Dad Campbell. And holy shit, that man is going to have a statue built in Detroit if he keeps it up. It feels like every single position here, like every team with where they are is a huge surprise. Every there's not a single outside of like the Saints and Falcons and the Bears. Those teams are like, yeah, I expected exactly where you guys are today. That mm-hmm. all makes sense. Um, the Panthers. Uh, I don't think it'd be a surprise if you told me the Panthers are five and nine. I think I would be surprised if you told me that they acquired Baker Mayfield and traded Baker Mayfield all in the same, you know, ten months. But whatever. Um, it, it's been such a. a delightful crapshoot to watch um, as compared to some of the more set in stone AFC standings. Um, uh, it'll be interesting for sure, because we have a lot of, as we entered the, the stretch, there's a lot of uncertainty left in the AFC. There's a lot of big matchups left in the NFC as it is tight near the, uh, the last three spots available to be clinched. 
the funniest outcome would be something like the Falcons making the playoffs after moving on from Matt Ryan, only for Matt Ryan's new team to not make the playoffs. Um, but hey, we shall see. Uh, the Steelers have an outside chance of finishing with a over 500 record. Uh, despite all of the woes of the team, how do you feel about the future of the Steelers? And a lot of talk and slander I've seen on Steelers Twitter about Mike Tomlin, which is very confusing. Uh, what have you made of the Steelers season thus far? Mike Tomlin up. gets slander every single season when the Steelers aren't in first place in the IFC North, and he deserves none of it. And I hate seeing it because I there's like what? three or four coaches in the league, you would have an argument in having over Mike Tomlin. Um, it's just, I think it's silly, utterly silly. Um, he's fine. He will have a job with the Steelers until he decides to retire. Um, blah. Um, that being said, the future of the Steelers Uh, summed up eloquently yeah uh if i was a magic eight ball i would say ask again later and you mean to tell me that you are not a magic eight ball i am not no i am very not full of that blue mystery liquid no i am a very stupid person um so if i shake you you will not answer my questions no if you shake me like a baby i'll probably just die um Oh, well, <laughs> it was a life. Yeah, so be it. Um, uh, how do you feel about Kenny Pickett entering next season? Uh, he will probably finish with just over 2,000 passing yards in what will be 11 starts. Mm-hmm. 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 Four touchdowns, I, eight interceptions. I think he could be really good. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I really would love to see what he could do outside of Matt Canada. Like with Zach Wilson, I, I really, really want to know. It's not the offensive coordinator. And if he does struggle, that it's him. Even so, I do have quite a lot of faith that he is actually pretty good at being a quarterback and he could definitely make it work again just kind of got to see it just got to see it what do you think the jets could get in a trade to get zach wilson off the team like what's the highest pick you think the jets could actually get at, for zach at this wilson? Point in time yeah this would very much so be buying low on zach wilson so i i think their trade value would be a lot less than people would think but i am um, curious are are you saying like this very second or entering the like off season? Entering the off season, yeah. If he has like one or two relatively okay games, maybe a fourth round pick. Maybe I don't think they could get much. I think if he, uh, I don't think be much either. If he sucks the rest of the way and kind of keeps up with the status quo. I don't think you're getting away with anything close to a day two pick. I think it's a mid to low day three pick. Um, maybe with some. That being said, Carson Wentz. Oh, Carson Wentz actually had a good season, so never mind. 
Yeah, I think round four is about as good as you'll get. Because I part of the the problem I'm I'm thinking of, and maybe we're doing slightly too much off season conversation about the NFL while it's still the regular season, but yeah, we'll see. Um, is that if you you go into next season, I guess you could carry three quarterbacks again, just not retain Flacco, keep White, keep um Wilson, and but my thing is, I'd rather the Jets go find somebody either via the trade market or free agency to to come in and helm the team. And if that's the case, do you still need both of White and Wilson? I I don't I don't think so. But I I don't know. Maybe it's a question for a few months from now. Who who would you take between the two, Josh? White or Wilson? Well, so this this is the question. No, I'm being completely serious, right? I it, it's a genuine question because if you think Zach Wilson can improve his stock while he, you know, sits in in the like you're not getting real value from Mike White. He might be I mean, in terms of of trading him away to other teams. He might be the more you know serviceable backup, which obviously has value in in insurance against your starting quarterback. But there might be more hypothetical value behind trying to make Wilson a serviceable quarterback, or at least putting some distance between his bad games and um, GM's front of mind when considering him. So there, there might be some value in, in hanging on to him. I have no clue. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think you keep Mike White. Zach Wilson just seems like a fucking cancer for that locker room. I mean, what comes from Utah and is not? Touche. That's right. If you're listening to this in Utah, fuck you. Nobody Eat is. Shit. Your religion's bad. If it wasn't for skiing, your state would be irrelevant. Taking it's shots. It's true. Skiing and Mormons. Yeah. And you're ever drying up water, uh, uh, lakes and rivers and shit. Anyway. Yeah. Fuck you, Utah. Piece of shit. Your senators blow ass. Most senators blow ass, but yours especially. Mike Lee sucks. You dick. Anywho, I guess we'll wrap up here. Corin and I have other things to do. Life goes on. Uh, we will probably not be recording on Sunday for the Monday episode. This is the one time where we actually probably know this ahead of time because this Sunday is Christmas and Corin and I are busy. Um, so, if anything, probably another episode next Thursday. Nothing in between. Uh, so, keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, if you would like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until next Thursday, you all have a good one. Bye.